0: Welcome to Ask of Expert, brought to you by the team at vexit.com. Our biweekly series is the podcast helping business owners, managers, and professionals thrive in the world of modern work. Here's this week's host, Polly Craig.
1: Well hello and welcome. Our aim on this podcast is to set you up to win as a leader and as a business owner. Drive, vision, and persistence are all key. So is taking a long look in the mirror and knowing where your blind spots are. Many entrepreneurs fail to ask for help in the early stages which can lead to bigger problems down the road. Or perhaps we consider hiring professionals as an unnecessary expense rather than an investment that we can get a return on. Sometimes getting over that mental roadblock and asking for help can be a big barrier to success. We'll dive into this and more in today's episode. And if you're in the build stage of your business, you'll want to stay tuned for the most beneficial ways that entrepreneurs can work with lawyers to set themselves up for success. I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome our guest today to shed light on this topic for you. He's been recognized by Best Lawyers as one of the best lawyers in Canada in corporate law, and he's a past recipient of its Lawyer of the Year for Manitoba. Tim Kerbis represents businesses ranging in size from owner-managed to national and multinational as he joins us on the show today from Taylor McCaffrey in Winnipeg. Welcome to the show, Tim.
2: Thanks, Paulie. It's a great pleasure to be here with you too.
1: So I would just love for you to take us on a journey. You know, as was highlighted in the intro, you've worked with companies of all sizes. But let's start at the beginning. And for those listeners who may be just starting out on their entrepreneurial journey, at what point should they be engaging with a lawyer? And how does this professional business owner life all begin?
2: That's a that's a, that's a a great place to start. I, I would say every business, whether it's big, small, or otherwise, has two key professional advisors or, or people who fill advisory roles, and that's uh, legal and typically finance or accounting. And so every storefront that you drive by, you don't think about it until you're an entrepreneur, but every one of those 7-Eleven stores has uh, one or more legal advisors and, and finance or accounting advisors. And so when does that start? It typically starts right at the very beginning from, a, from the legal perspective, because business structuring is often one of the, the very first considerations that a startup business would need to consider. That. And, and by structuring all of what, what I mean is, are you going to do that in your own personal capacity as a proprietor of a business? Are you going to be a member of a partnership or a joint venture? Or are you going to incorporate a corporation? And we, and we can talk about what the, the, what the differences are. I'm not sure if that's necessarily a subject for this. If your question is, when is it the right time? I don't think you could be too early from a business startup perspective. And I think the, from my perspective, being somebody whose job it is, for the most part, to deal with and head off problems, the earlier that you spend time thinking about that, the better.
1: It's a good point. So early stage, can you maybe list off a few things? Being a startup ourselves and only being around for a short time, I can think of, you know, shareholders agreement. Uh,
2: what other types of things would businesses be looking for? That depends on the nature of the business, but for sure um, that, that partnership agreement or shareholders agreement that you're referring to mitigates risk of down the road, not getting along with the people that you might be starting up your business with. Other items might be if your business is developing intellectual property, as an example, the earlier that you take steps to mitigate risk as it relates to what you're creating, the less likely it is that you're going to be put at a disadvantage down the road. And so uh, that's that's another item. If you are a distributor there's going to be legal contracts that are going to need to be reviewed with your with the manufacturing or other agents that you're that you're addressing if you're the little person and and there's a big fish at the other side those contracts are often presented in standard form small print I guess getting in front of that and making sure that you understand all of the implications, whether you can change them or not. And that sometimes they're negotiable, sometimes they're not. But at least having an understanding of what it is that you're asked to do and what you're being exposed to, I think are important considerations from a startup perspective.
1: Some of the other things that I was thinking of as you were speaking, you think about HR issues such as, and this could be whether it's your own business or whether it's a, a board that you're on. Uh, having employees versus contractors. Um, Now, would a corporate lawyer be dealing with that? Or, you know, is that within your wheelhouse? Or do you bring other experts to deal with certain situations?
2: Great question. Um, So my role as corporate counsel, typically, I I, I use the term problem solver, because that's really what I'm a glorified problem solver in a lot of respects in my own daily work. There are many different subsets of business law that require more specialized expertise, whether that's because of a regulatory environment or um, in the case of employment, for instance, there's a, a highly uh, legislated environment that deals with statutory requirements and, and in terms of how to deal with employees. And so at a, as a member of a larger full service law firm, we would have resources in-house who restrict their practice and who are experts in subfields like labor unemployment to use your uh, to address your particular example so while I know enough to be dangerous as far as employment law is concerned at least my, my job is to know enough to be able to identify when there could be a need to bring in that specialized resource and/or uh, what resource might be appropriate to bring to bear
1: well and it crosses over because as you said in the beginning you often have not just lawyers but you have accountants and and so how do those interplay and so now you see all sorts of consultants that you can bring in or and there's programs available and when we started here we said okay you're an entrepreneur you're starting out in your business the structure first of all you touched on and then what are the most common things that people run into that tend to be dealt with after the fact versus if they had certain things in place beforehand could have avoided some of the conflict or, or results that take place?
2: Well, at the risk of being repetitive, I, I've, in my experience, and I've got several different examples in my 30 years of practice, uh, is waiting too long to do your shareholders agreement or, or partnership agreement. I, I like to refer to those as your business prenup. You know, the time to do uh, an agreement is when everybody's happy, everybody likes each other, everybody's getting along and you can all without emotion and using your best business hat, wearing your best business hat, I should say, you can determine what's fair because sometimes there's implications as to how from a governance perspective or from an ownership perspective, things will impact on your personal investment and your personal participation in the business. Those, those are not necessarily the same for every participant. And so, Uh, Long story short is there are too many cases, in my my estimation, that if you're not doing the entrepreneurship by yourself, if you have other individuals who are co-owners or other participants, ownership and or managers for that matter, and you haven't documented what the deal is, waiting too long can be what it does is it creates risk that ultimately costs significantly more down the road to fix than it might have had you allocated some budget and time to that from a startup perspective.
1: And so when when you're looking for the right professional, is it common that you would be hired by people where you have experience in their particular industry, or is it more the business size or type, like maybe manufacturing versus a service-based business? How do you know that you're going to be the right fit for somebody?
2: Speaking on my own, obviously from my own personal perspective, uh, pretty close to 100% of the new business that comes in the door for me has been, is one of two sources, but primarily the first, which is a referral source. So somebody that I have done work with in the past has touched the the, the new prospect or client, has has passed on some sort of positive experience that results in the prospect wanting to, to talk with me. And as a result, they're starting from a position of the absence of fear is an important component of developing trust, right? And so having somebody who can vouch for a professional, I think in many people's eyes as a consumer of services, who's not, you know, not legal services, I look for that too, right? I have friends who have had a great experience from a plumber as an example. And that's, that, sure. that, I, I want to use somebody who, <laughs> who has uh, treated somebody that I trust properly. The second, and I think you touched on it, industry experience can be very valuable. I I would say it's not necessarily applicable in all cases, um, particularly in regulatory uh, environments. So securities law is an example, other environments where there's a statutory regime that applies that's particular to that industry. I think having some experience and knowledge and background can uh, improve efficiency as far as the service provider is concerned, the professional. Um, And so that would be something that, that you might consider. From a from an entrepreneurial perspective, so like
1: anything else in life, whether it's business or or personal relationships, it's how we treat each other. And I know in the past when I've had to phone a lawyer, it's usually I'm in duress. I have an immediate need, and it, you know it might be something that's emotional. It might be something that's devastating. It's come out of left field. I'm sure you would love for all your clients to be proactive in the approach and everything planned out, but the importance of having referenceable clients really is based on how you treat them and how you make them feel in the end so that they are telling your story for you to other people.
2: I I think that's 100% true. Uh, I hope that every client that I deal with at the end of an engagement feels like they've been treated fairly and that I've given them the service that they need in the way that they expected it from my perspective the early development of a relationship of trust is a really important component of that and so i would say that how someone expects to be treated that's a two-way street right where uh, you've got a need and somebody has the the expertise to be able to apply the second component the important component that goes along with that is the ability to not just communicate but also to 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 clearly communicate and understand that of what the nature of the problem is uh, and to be able to respond to it in a timely way.
1: And I'm wondering if I can go here but and this isn't to you particularly but I think that our audience could probably relate and one of the really difficult things as business owners is when we have an engagement with a professional it doesn't have to be a lawyer it could be any number of professionals that there's an expectation but you never really know what it's going to cost. It depends on the circumstances and scope creep and all the other things. What can business owners and entrepreneurs do to ensure that they can contain that and keep the relationship strong by having this known world of what it's going to cost and if it's going to be more, that there's communication in advance. How do you avoid getting a bill that blows you out of the water and going, where did this come from?
2: Well, you used a word that I use very commonly when reviewing budget and or cost uh, with clients or or prospective clients, and that's scope. And so I think entrepreneurs would do themselves a huge favor, and lawyers often do themselves a disservice by not spending time at the very beginning uh, trying to, 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 as best they can, draw a, a clear line around exactly what it is that is that is being asked for, what makes sense in terms of the, the professionals experience to be to bring to bear on that, and or milestones that can be sometimes used as a risk mitigating item where uh, if, if scope from A to Z is impossible because of the amount of variability, you should be able, as the professional advisor should be in a position where they can provide for a, a reasonable band of variability within those milestones with a view that, that uh, the entrepreneur should, at the end of the day, it's not in the, in the advisor's interest or the entrepreneur's interest for there to be a big surprise. I, I can say that from experience. I do my utmost at the very beginning. And I think that that would speak for most lawyers, that I most competent lawyers that I deal with feel the same way. It's part of your job to avoid surprises to the client.
1: So can you share any any stories about, you know, it must feel great when you close a file and I don't really know what that means. What does what the best
2: day in the life of a lawyer look like? That's uh, an interesting question because um, my day is different every day. I, I really love what I do. I was I didn't go to school wanting to become a lawyer. I The only reason that I became a lawyer is because uh, my university... Courses in science weren't going to be credited by the faculty of management when I wanted to do a switch, and so to, to save seven hundred bucks, I applied for law school. And what, <laughs> do you true, tell your clients this story? True, true story. It's a true story. But for seven hundred dollars, I probably would have been—I uh, probably would have been in the uh, management or financial services industry in some way, shape, or form. But that was—that's a, a long time in the rearview mirror what's the best day in the in the life of a of a lawyer like me? a good chunk of the work that I do is project based so my own personal work relates to uh, secured financing for whether that's as a borrower or uh, for a couple of the large lending uh, financial institutions in Canada. I also do a fair amount of mergers and acquisitions work and so at any given time you might have well, any any as few as one, uh, but as many as five, ten, fifteen transactions at different stages on your plate for a particular day or week. And the the best part of a day, the best day for a lawyer often is the day that you get to do the very last task. That goes along with that project. Sometimes the, you hear the phrase amber alerts, not in legal context, but you do hear it, uh, an amber alert in a law office, and that results in somebody breaking out a bottle of something that's colored um, to, <laughs> to, to celebrate the, the, the end of a particular task, the end of a particular uh, uh, project. And, and those are ones on the MA and or, or financing side that can be ones that could be weeks to months in, uh, in tying it off.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Thanks for sharing that. Can you just touch on M&As for a little bit here? Because I'm sure given today's environment and with COVID, are you seeing opportunities like what's happening with mergers and acquisitions? And are there some industries that are better positioned than others? Um, do you see a lot of mergers taking place?
2: What I can say is that COVID has had no appreciable effect Literally zero appreciable effect in the marketplace um, as far as volume transactions is concerned. Our our business law group in 2020 uh, was no less active. In fact, slightly higher uh, activity year over year compared to 2019. And my feeling is that 2021 is going to be the same, and perhaps perhaps even higher, uh, considering that there's some government stimulus that's going into going into the marketplace generally. I don't want to minimize what I know is a tremendous amount of pain that is both out there now and is yet to, still yet to come in the system I want to call it our system of commerce I, I don't mean for a minute to to discount that or to not to suggest there is an empathy for that but when there are significant events like COVID it seems to me that the marketplace has Winners and losers, and sometimes there's nothing you can do. Uh, If if your industry happens to be one that, well, I'll use the restaurant industry as an example in the current environment. I don't know of a single one that would say that COVID has been anything other than a horrendous challenge to have to work through. Um, By the same token, there are industries for whom it's been a boon of unimagined proportions, and who have uh, who have made out significantly better than they in 2020 than they could have ever dreamed.
1: Lots of stories to be told, I think, in the next few months and, and years to come. And what about crossing borders? Um, do you have any experience with companies that may have operations uh, in the U.S. as well as Canada?
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, last week's Amber Alert was completing a, a transaction, an acquisition transaction on behalf of a Canadian client for assets, uh, business assets that are in the U.S. side of the border. Are you asking that about in the context of, of COVID or, or an M&A generally? I guess more
1: interestingly right now, what effect has COVID had on that? And are businesses suffering who have have businesses had to make changes because they have operations in the US but can't have people going back and forth?
2: And what I can say is that my experience is that it hasn't made that big of a, of a difference. I mean, for for the clients of mine for whom we're used to meeting in person, whether that's you know in Canada or elsewhere. We have a technology platform and Zoom is not proprietary, of course. Everybody adapted in 2020 to being okay with not necessarily having to be in the presence of somebody else. A virtual presence has been, seems to be ubiquitously accepted across the business environment. And so certainly from my perspective, I, before, before COVID, I used the video calling system and or other platforms almost not at all. And since that time, it's part of the day, it's part of a daily life. very few calls that I make, they're not uh, on a Teams or a Zoom or a Skype for business platform.
1: Well, and I also love that now, you know, for legal issues, you can use DocuSign and, you know, no mm-hmm. longer having to drive down to an office somewhere. Do you see that changing in the future? If it's
2: changing, it's only to become more adopted, not less. Mm-hmm. That, that's the way I see it. As an example of what's what I think are permanent changes to the marketplace. I look outside my, my office window and I don't see too many faces behind uh, multiple screens. We have, we have, we developed great offices in 2019. And luckily, uh, despite COVID, I wouldn't change any of it. So I feel pretty good about that. Um, but what, what has changed significantly is the amount of people who are, would have had to do their work inside four walls that we, where we're connected one way with a very you know, modest investment in technology, we've now expanded the not just the ability to work from here, but also the hours of work that are available because you're not necessarily tied to uh, four walls downtown. I don't want to say expanded, but they've certainly become much more flexible and our productivity has for sure been maintained and I would argue perhaps increased. So we're not going to do any, we're not going to make a change back that is going to take away from that, in my view.
1: You know, just talking a little bit more about the businesses, you know, we started on this little journey, talked about, you know, how you can set up with the right professionals in the first place and things that you'll go through. Do you have any insights that you can share with us or situations uh, or opportunities for things that you would recommend that businesses take a look at now, whether it's because of today's environment or just because now is the time to be looking, are there opportunities that we should be looking at or pitfalls that people can avoid as business owners? Should they contact Tim?
2: Huh. The older I get, the more uh, aware I am of risk. Uh, you know, the 25-year-old me, uh, of course, was willing to accept more risk because my runway is longer. You know, if something goes wrong, uh, I've got a I've got a longer period of time to fix it and make it make it better. I'm in my 50s now, and I'm not saying that I'm uh, am not going to work forever, but I am not going to work forever. And so uh, I'm conscious of things in in from a business perspective. Aside from getting a few more miles on the odometer, uh, I'm conscious of things that create risk, and I'm very aware of the importance of. I'm not taking risks that I don't at least I don't understand, and I'm not able to take steps to mitigate. It'd be impossible for a business owner not to, to assume some risk. That's that's what you get paid for. There is risk and then there's reward that goes along with it. I think from an entrepreneur's perspective, the, the key for me would be to make sure that you're not taking on, first of all, more than you understand, and which is sometimes where your advisors come in, uh, and secondly, more than you're prepared to based on. A whole bunch of factors, uh, some of which can be business related and some of which can be personal.
1: That's a really good point. I think all of us as entrepreneurs, we have to understand, you know, where our strengths are and, and what we know, but also to know what we don't know and to align with the right professionals that can, you know, it really is like building a team. And, you know, our professionals come in and out of our lives as we go, but they are always part of our team. To start over with a different person all the time is not an easy task because you've got that intellectual property and that history and that development of a relationship over time. So I think one of the messages to our audience is hire professionals based on skill, but also on building that relationship. And, and more and more on what we're seeing with, with Vexit is people also like to align with people who have shared interest. So maybe we'll end off with, with something a little more fun. I know that you love cars, and
2: <laughs> how do you know that?
1: <laughs> I've seen them down in the street. What would you say you said to your twenty five year old self, and and talked about a little bit about runway? But um, you know that shared interest and and the values. Uh, there's lots of business owners that that also love cars and and vehicles. How important is that? Uh, uh, when it comes to
2: having a relationship as far as cars is concerned i have plenty of clients who don't necessarily share that same no. interest so I'll, <laughs> I'll i'll start with that i like working with people who i feel like working with me and so developing shared interests or not or identifying maybe is a better way to say it a shared interest is a key component of of any relationship um, whether it's business or personal as it happens i happen to have a fairly broad Set of interests, and and if you've identified one of them. Um, and if somebody came to me and said that they'd also been had held a competition racing license at one point in time, it gives us some a, a launch pad into it into a discussion. I guess what I would say is that developing a relationship with your advisor or, or identifying a relationship with your advisor isn't isn't obviously uh, limited to personal interests. Just because somebody has a law degree uh, and, a, and a license to practice doesn't mean that they are necessarily suited to uh, your the, the needs that you have as, as a consumer of that legal service. Somebody who did your grandparents' will or, or your most recent mortgage refinancing in your house, uh, even if you have a relationship with them and or some shared personal interests, that might not be the best fit for tasks that you need Advice on, and so it's it's a factor, but it's not necessarily the factor as far as uh, what I would say an entrepreneur should be considering as far as developing a relationship is concerned.
1: Yes, and I think so many things, and maybe it's a, a great place for us to close this off is to say we all like to do business with people that we know, like, and trust. And when it comes to our professional advisors, trust is the big factor. I really appreciate you being on
2: here today, Tim. Is there anything that we left out? Well, you know, if I could say one thing to entrepreneurs, and particularly the younger uh, entrepreneurs, people who are starting businesses, one sort of piece of advice that I uh, could communicate would be, do your best to stay humble. As far as presenting yourself, whether that's to your prospective advisors uh, or even others uh, in the business community, I've found that people who talk above their weight, uh, that's a poor term phrase, but uh, who it's not that hard for somebody with experience in, in a particular field like, like the legal field to to know when somebody is uh, speaking uh, at a higher level than what they really understand. And I don't think you do yourself any favors when you present to, to any of your advisors as perhaps understanding or knowing more than you really do knowing your limitations i think is really important asking for help when you need help is is an important component of that and and so from my perspective humility it, even though that's not necessarily a key key trait for uh for entrepreneurs generally i would say that you'd be well served when interacting with your advisor to make sure that you're not they don't think you know more than you actually do
1: Right. You do everybody a disservice then. And so what I heard you say is know your limitations. Know That's when her. to ask for help and do it and be humble.
2: Lessons from Tim Kyrbos.
1: There we go. Well, it's a great lesson. And thank you for being with us today, Tim. I hope you all the best. I hope that car goes fast, but safely.
2: I got one out of storage today with Newport Insurance. So vroom, vroom. There you go. Look out. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks,
0: Bobby. The Ask of Expert podcast is a production of Exit and distributed globally by the Sound Off Media Company.
1: Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you.